everybody. I have with me today Barbara Hewson, who I actually first knew and still can't stop calling her Barbara Stanny, who really is responsible for getting me to do this podcast because uh, she has been someone I've known for a number of years. I met her through the School of Womanly Arts, and she is somebody who really professes the idea to do something scary every day and also to really connect with your purpose, which that's what this podcast has done for me. So I wanted her on the podcast because I often find myself saying, if you really want to understand what's going on in a complex system, you need to just follow the money. And, you know, I've been saying on this podcast that empowering women is key to building a more peaceful planet and moving beyond war and armed conflict. And I also would say that because money is the currency of power, empowering women around money is key to empowering women. And that's where Barbara comes in because she is the leading authority on women, wealth, and power. She is a best-selling author. She's written books like Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life, Sacred Success, A Course in Financial Miracles, and others. Uh, she's been featured on Good Morning America, The View, uh, The O'Reilly Report, and a lot of other popular news shows. Her background is business and journalism, and um, she just has a really wonderful personal story herself about how she's empowered herself around money and therefore has been able to help a lot of other people do the same. So uh, here are some highlights of the interview, parts that I really thought were great. The first is that it's not about money per se. It's who women have to become to actually get really smart about money. Uh, it's a process that we need to go through to really undo centuries of conditioning about power and our ambivalence about power. And when we can undo that, we actually find ourselves being able to get much smarter about how we manage our finances and some of our many resistances to really taking charge of them. So that's one. And she tells a bunch of stories about that, about blocks and fear and all these things that are... I think will really resonate with people. A second is that she confirms what I have been hearing in different um, venues, that at least in the United States, 70% of all wealth is being transferred to women. And well, that transfer is happening, and I'm not sure when it will complete. But what's interesting about it, so women are earning more money in control of more money, but what Barbara says is really interesting is that we still are not necessarily in control of it. We often have other people control it for us and we lack confidence. So sometimes when we have that money, we don't really hold on to it in very effective ways. And the third is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast is that women get motivated around different things than men, according to Barbara, with money. They get more motivated uh, to be spending it to help their communities, to help their families. So I make the leap that 
Given that we are spending on the planet $1.7 trillion a year on military expenditures, uh, really an obscene amount, if women really were to start getting smart about money, really get over their codependence around it, their codependence on men, their foggy brains, and really start looking at these numbers, that I'm going to make the hunch that maybe we'd say, you know, like Leigh McGowey did in Liberia, uh, we don't want to do this. We actually don't want to be spending our money this way. We don't think that it's really solving any of our current real problems anymore. And uh, we want to shift our dollars to things that make a difference. So um, Barbara doesn't say she knows about that, but she says it sounds like a pretty good hunch. But anyway, I will let you listen to this delightful person who's so generous and so much fun to uh, just be with and spend some time with. So without further ado, I bring you Barbara Hewson. Enjoy. So I actually think, Barbara, that I have you to thank for this podcast because you basically were saying, do something scary every day. And you were saying, you know, pay attention to your purpose. So, I, you know, I haven't completely clarified that, but I knew this was scary. And I, you know, so I got it going. So, you know, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners thank you because many people enjoy listening to this podcast. That is so cool. I love how you have a sign. I know, right? No one else can see that. But yeah, I have a sign behind me that says the Peace Building Podcast. You don't know your purpose? Seriously? Well, I do. My purpose is definitely about building collaboration in the world. It's been that for a long time. And then more specifically, it's been about building a more peaceful planet. Mm. And then even more specifically, and this I get a little shaky on, and this gets into our conversation. I really think that if women really had sunlight, big awareness on what's going on with the numbers and really were in control of their own finances and money and in charge, they probably wouldn't be spending money around militarization the way it has been happening. So that's a big statement. But I will say that the point is on the podcast people have been making and very reputable people that, you know, much smarter about this than I, but that basically... Hey. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Um, but that we do not need armed conflict anymore, that it's really sort of past its sell date, as Dr. Silo Elworthy has said. And another thing is that when you look at societies where there's real partnership between men and women, they don't tend to support militarization either. They have really minimal military budgets. So that's where you come in, because basically I've been making the point on this podcast for a while that empowering women is probably the single most important thing that could happen to build peace on the planet. And where you come in, obviously, is, you know, money is the currency of power. And if women really, really stepped into their power around money, they would I think be empowered. Be, I mean, I think it's almost parallel. How women are around money has a lot to do with how women are around power. So those are some of the... Oh, this is, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so I guess I basically, I wanted to just get you talking because any reaction you had to what I just said or, but then what I really want to hear from you is, I mean, I also think there's a, I just came back from West Africa 
which is a very male-dominated place. It was a really beautiful place to be and fun and everything. Where but, were you? What's West Africa? What city were you? I was in Ghana and then I was in Benin. Oh. And um, they are both really took a journey. I was there for work. I was doing, I was working with Ghanaian officials around negotiation skills. But then I took some time to uh, do some traveling around. Specifically, I did a, like a real walk through like a, a pilgrimage around slavery because all the slave castles or, or some of the main slave castles are right there on that, what used to be called the Gold Coast. Oh. You know, so it was super interesting, moving, taught me a lot about dominion and the problems of dominion and, you know, and how we need to move beyond it into much more partnership models. So, yeah, what do you think is, do you agree with me that there's this, a global epidemic of codependence among women? And maybe you don't, maybe your practice doesn't take you global too much. I don't know about that. Well, I, I don't know if I, have had any clients from West Africa, <laughs> but I definitely have them from Australia and Europe and Asia. Yeah. So yes, we women are very codependent and codependent means you put everybody else's needs before your own. So, well, and you, it doesn't it also mean because your book Prince Charming isn't coming, which I, that title of course is such a fabulous title. Um, it's also the way that I think women, you know, we've been trained to, we sort of learned helpless. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We have been conditioned. Women have been conditioned. We have been raised to be dependent financially and other things. Right. Be the sacrificers, be the caretakers. Men, on the other hand, were raised to be breadwinners, to be the strong ones. But neither one of us were taught healthy ways to take care of ourselves, be in healthy relationships, and have a healthy relationship with money. Yeah. So I think we've both, men and women, have been at a disadvantage. And I think women are changing rapidly because we have so much support for that. So much support for our change. Look at the Me Too movement. There's just mm. tremendous support of women amongst women. Even actually in the New York Times yesterday, even in West Africa, I just read an article uh, because in one of the indices that measures uh, women's empowerment, I mean, the, you know, I, I couldn't quote you exactly the different criteria they're using, but um, West Africa is one of the the most difficult places for women. It's the most traditional patriarchal kinds of cultures. But even there, apparently this article is all about how women are, are because they're listening to things on the radio and there's different kinds of messaging coming to them that they're actually now seeking divorce in much greater numbers because their husbands aren't able to either support them, care for them, whatever. And they're saying, heck, I'm getting out of this. <laughs> I'm going to make it on my own. I think I've seen it with some clients from Qatar and Saudi Arabia and around there. They're even rising up. Women are rising. And women are rising because, I think, energetically. I think men are at a disadvantage because they don't have the support system. They have a support system for status quo. They don't have a support system for stepping into this new reality that you and I want to create. So I consider myself very lucky to be a woman. And I think I want to empower women. 
And one of the reasons I want to empower women, not just so they're powerful, but I think men are afraid of our power. They're very afraid of our power. Why do you think that is, Barbara? Well, look at men when they're born, when they're young. They're very dependent on their mother, right? They're very scared of women's anger. They're very, I mean, I don't have a scientific proof for this, but in my 40 years of working with women and going through three husbands, <laughs> I'm on my third, I just see that that men are very afraid of women's power. Because for men, power means domination over. For women, power means collaboration with. So when women, so men through, look through the lenses of dominance and they are afraid that we will dominate them. Yeah, what I, so Terry Real was, I don't know if you know him, he is a leading psychotherapist around expert in men. And he was the last uh, speaker on the podcast. And he says, men aren't afraid of intimacy. Men are afraid of subjugation. Okay, that, that's a good way of putting it. They're very, very afraid mm -hmm. because they've been the sub persecutors. They have been the ones who have subjugated. That has been, see, all of us, all of us from prehistoric times, from the second we stepped out of being tadpoles and started standing up, our brain, our prehistoric brain is wired for survival. We're wired for survival. And so anything that threatens our survival, our logical brain shuts off. We go back into our primitive brain, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And I think <laughs> that men are wired to fight, to fight. Women, when we get scared, we're wired to freeze or flight. And so we just have different ways of handling it. It's not the money that's going to give us power. I don't believe, I don't believe money gives you power. Money has no power. It's the process of who we have to become to be good stewards of our money. We have to become a powerful woman. And a powerful woman, in my definition, is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, and expresses that in the world unapologetically. And so many of us, we dim ourselves down so we don't make waves. Men have a completely different other definition of power. But I think what, in order to become a good steward of our money, in order to create and sustain wealth, it's who we have to become. And that's why I'm so, I'm such an advocate about women and money, because what I really want them to do is step up and step into their power. So they can lead alongside enlightened men. So what do you, what do you see? You know, you, I know you have a, you, one of your newer programs, I think it's called Rewire, which is such a great title as well. But what do you see as the real blocks? What gets in the way of women actually embracing this? Fear. And why? Fear. Because we feel threatened. I remember when I wrote my first book, Prince Charming, which you mentioned, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, I was, and I really saw, that's when I really saw, I just had a kind of a little glimpse of that women, it wasn't the money. It was women's fear of or ambivalence about power that kept them from getting smart money. I mean, there's no better way to disempower ourselves than not to have enough money. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I remember talking to a psychologist who specialized in financial issues. And I said to her, why do you think women are so afraid of their power? And she said to me something that gave me chills. She said, women, powerful women were burned at the stake. Yeah. And I think it is in our collective unconsciousness for centuries, for centuries, we have been punished for being who we truly are.
Yeah, I I really relate to that. And I remember actually feeling when I watched The Burning Times, which is a a pretty interesting documentary about that whole period in Europe, Mm. how I almost felt like I had a body memory of it. Um, And I think other women have reported the same kind of thing. Um, I have a question for you, Barbara, that I don't know if you know the answer to this. I think that I'm right in, in saying that in the United States anyway, in this century, is it currently that women have control or access to the majority of financial resources? Supposedly. That according to, I don't know what statistics, 70% of all wealth will be transferred to women. So it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened. It's hap- Yes, okay. it has happened. It, it used to be, I think, 60% or 50%, 60% now. So we have tremendous wealth. We are making more money now before. We being women. We are making more money than ever before. We have more money than ever before. But we don't control our money. Either someone else does or, or because just because you have money doesn't mean you'll keep it. Yeah. So what I want to do is help women create wealth. Now, wealth, some people get very turned off by. But my definition of wealth is when you have more than enough. Well, I like your definition. I think you... You said something, by the way, I think I told you this, your blog, I read different blogs, but yours is my favorite blog. It's, it, <laughs> it is. It's short. It's simple. It's always so incredibly wise. And I always get something from it. But yeah. one of the things I got from it is this, uh, that you said that the word wealth really comes from a, I forget the Latin word that means well-being. Wheel. wheel. It comes from yeah. wheel, W-A-L, yeah. that means well-being. Yeah. And that's really the whole point of creating wealth is to create well-being. So who's to say what's wealthy? I've had clients that have $10 million and they don't feel wealthy. I've had clients who have far less, but they have enough and they feel wealthy. Well, it was interesting. It was interesting in West, in Benin particularly, because it's one of the, it's one of the poorest countries, I think, in the world, if not in West Africa. But what I noticed there is that it doesn't really, it doesn't seem like it runs much on money. It runs on people. So if something happens, suddenly all these people come around to help you, you know, it's just, no one's paying for anything. It's just, uh, I mean, I wasn't there long enough to know. I'm sure people would like to be making more money and I'm sure the women would like to be making more money. And I, of course I was with a very, I was with one very entrepreneurial, uh, guest house owner that I'm sure is doing very well, but, uh, we, we don't have those safety nets in America and also much of Europe because we become very scattered. We don't live in our little tribes like we used to. We don't live in communities like we used to, uh, in small communities. Uh, So we don't have that safety net. That wouldn't work here unless we definitely changed our culture and lifestyle, which isn't going to happen. Do you have any idea that the statistics that you were just talking about, well, first of all, you confirmed what I thought was true, that women may be uh, the recipients of that wealth in name, but they're not necessarily in control of it. They're not necessarily managing it. Most of them aren't managing it. This is what, okay, so this is what has me so baffled. So this is for the United States. So 82% Fidelity just did a Fidelity money. Fidelity. That's a management firm if you're listening, if you're familiar. Yeah. Fidelity yeah. has all these, it manages money, has all these mutual funds. So Fidelity is a study on 1,500 women in America. And they found 80% of them knew they were not protecting themselves financially. They knew it. And yet they, they, they knew better. And they really wanted to, but they weren't. And this is so puzzling because 
something like 78% didn't feel like they understood financial planning and money management. And yet there's a gazillion sources out there to learn. And here's the interesting thing. When it comes to investing, women are better investors than men. Once men, women get in the market and starts investing, she outperforms men, this is the general, by one whole percentage point, which is huge. I'm talking American women. Mm-hmm. And so the reason is because men are very competitive and they think they know it all, very performance-oriented. And so they, they tend to trade a lot. They tend to buy and sell a lot. Women, we lack confidence. So we tend to buy and hold, which is a much better strategy over time. So here's the thing. We are much better investors. We are wonderful businesswomen. We really understand the importance of the feminine qualities like collaboration that make successful companies. And yet, we aren't doing what we know we need to do. We lack the confidence. To, to we take lack, home. Yes, because we, there's a saying, you can only go as far as your self-image will allow. And our self-image as a group, I'm not saying individuals, as a group, and I can say this for, for overseas too, I can say this for other countries, our self-image as women has been molded and shaped over centuries and centuries as we talked about earlier, to be the dependent one, to not understand finances. So you sure it's not that women feel like it's not going to be sexy if they actually, you know, that they, they won't be loved, their husbands or their partners will get turned off by the fact that they actually are so powerful, they have more money than them. You know, I had to say, I don't know, uh, it's a pretty high profile uh, Anyway, well, not to get into that, this person who has an online program, but she is doing fabulously well, and they're very transparent, she and her partner, about their relationship, and I know she's the driving force behind this business, and he just publicly said he was breaking up with her, and then they had a whole conversation about this, you know, in front of everybody, but that when I was reading it, I thought, you know, Fundamentally, I think he feels outdone by her. He feels like he can't deal with that kind of power coming from a woman, that kind of financial, because she's really making a lot of money. Men are scared of our power. But let me just say, I know, so I came from a wealthy family and I married a man who was a stockbroker, but he was a compulsive gambler. And over the course of 15 years, I'd find out every year, many times a year that he was gambling my money, my inheritance away, and I still let him manage it. I still didn't manage it. Mm-hmm. And after our divorce, I got tax bills for a million dollars. I didn't have a million dollars. My ex had left the country. My father wouldn't lend me the money. I had three daughters. <laughs> I knew I had to get smart. And so I tried and I tried and my eyes would glaze over. My brain would fog up and I went to a therapist and I said to him, Daniel, I really want to get smart. I really want to get smart about money. And he looks at me and he says, no, you don't. And it's like he took the, I couldn't argue. He took the air out of my balloon. That moment, that part of me that didn't want to get smart just took over. And I didn't realize that was there. I just thought I was stupid. But there was a part of me that was scared. And my biggest fear was that my parents would be mad at me and that no man would love me. And I was a women's liver. I went through that whole phase. I was right there marching but here, I was afraid a man wouldn't love me if I was, had money or if I was powerful. So I, I had to really work on that. 
And I'm not saying every woman has that, but I think some of us suffer from that. I so relate to this because I came from a um, affluent in some ways, I mean, economically privileged. I wasn't so, you know, there's many different kinds of privilege. And, and But in my family, I came from a family that uh, really was stripped of my power very early on, the, that my brother, given all the power, the girls, you know, absolutely not given power. And so I was conditioned very early on that men were supposed to manage money. Men were supposed to deal with money. And, and then it related to this. It was so funny. My mother would give, when she would serve dinner, she would give my brother a big plate of food and she would give the three girls smaller portions of food. Well, that translated into how much money we ultimately made. And I mean, I'm transcending my own inhibitions about money and my own ability to make money. But, but I think it was directly, I was very anorexic about money. I felt like I, it was dirty to actually deal with it. Oh yeah. So yeah. So And, uh, and in a lot of religions... We're told that money's dirty. In a lot of in a lot of cultures, money is not for the woman to deal with. So it's like there's a lot of, let's say, brainwashing or contaminating our thinking about what we're really supposed to be and do. And it all gets down to, in my opinion, for women, it all boils down to it's who we have to become to really manage our money widely. There's three levels of financial development. There's survival, not enough. There's stability, enough. And there's affluence, more than enough. And so in order to create stability or even more wealth, which is more than enough for each person that varies, we have to break down years and years and years and centuries and centuries of conditioning. Because learning to manage our money, becoming affluent or even stable, means we have to make definite internal changes in ourselves. We have to grow up, basically. (laughs) I, I think some of this is really about wanting to stay childish. Patriarchy likes children. It's afraid of adults. And, uh, you know, for women, I think we're special if we are rescued, you know, if if Prince Charming comes and and actually saves us or, or you know, we get kissed by the prince and he wakes us up and all those kinds of things. And the prince, Prince Charming, he's just a projection of our disowned self, our own power. And so I love that. There's many doorways to power. For me, money. Sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's health. For me, it's money. It's about really recognizing. Yeah, I think it's a rite of passage into our power, into adulthood, to become the responsible adult we are meant to be instead of the dependent children. I have to laugh at myself. I got divorced about seven years ago now. And the first guy I dated, it was so transparent. Uh, He did sustainable investing, but he really seemed to know an awful lot about money. And it was like, oh, okay, so I'll date you and you'll solve my panic about money. And then the next guy I dated, I realized that wasn't going to work. The next guy I dated actually was really good at fixing my house. It's like, oh, okay, I'll date you. You can fix my house. Now, uh, actually, through your help, I actually have a really wonderful financial person who's like empowered me no end and um, makes me do it all myself. So I'm really actually now take care of the money that I have. I completely manage it myself, which I feel great about. You don't know how happy that makes me to hear that. It's so different. I feel like I've gone through this process and I now have a handyman who deals with my house, but I've gone through this process of like extricating 
in some ways, extricating, I'll use the word patriarchy again, out of me. Like, for instance, I had an accountant. Really, I thought he was really taking care of me. I looked at it. I got smart. And it's like, you're not taking care of me. You're exploiting me. Then I had a, a couple of doctors like, and I'm not saying, because I now have many men that support me, but, but these guys were men who really were good at conveying to women that they were taking care of them. But in fact, they really, they weren't taking care of me. They were actually overcharging me and not really giving me good service. And so one by one, I like got rid of them, you know, and got people that really were taking care of me and really were giving How me did that make you feel? So much better and so much more empowered. I mean, I think- That's I, it. See, that's it. Yeah. I still feel, you know, I still would like to be with a partner again, I guess. I'm, I have some ambivalence about it because I'm so enjoying developing. I feel like I've really developed my authentic self. It's really emerging. I feel it too. I feel it since I last saw you. I can feel your change. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a, I'm a little ambivalent about, well, because when, you know, relationships are obviously, I still don't completely trust myself to not give my power away. I, I'm a kingmaker. I was taught to be a kingmaker, you know, with men. And I made my ex-husband a kingmaker. I mean, he came from nothing and boy, he became like really financially successful with my, with my great coaching and help. And um, so it's easier in some ways for me to support somebody else in becoming powerful. And, uh, you know, that's a very codependent process to make the man. I even wouldn't pay for things myself. I, I wanted him to always pay for things, you know, even though it was both of our money. <laughs> it's like, it's like really funny. So now I'm not like that at all. I'm really taking charge. I am, you know, stressed out a bit. I, I, Doing this podcast is a little bit of a like, I don't make money from it. I, you know, I need, I realize I need to get a little smarter sometimes. I do other things other than the podcast and I, my consulting business is doing pretty well, but I still need to get smarter and get more of a profit motive, I think, in my head and figure, because I think, you know, we're talking to uh, people out there in the world that are all over the planet. And I think in the, in the international development field, for instance, there's such a dichotomy of like, you know, male, female, like the corporations can sort of the archetype is that the corporations can be for profit and the, you know, all the not for profits have to do all the caring and the picking up pieces and stuff like that. It's kind of a male, female split. And uh, I think where we're going and where you're going and where everybody's going is trying to create much more mutual relationships that are much more partnership. But I still feel in talking to you, I still feel how many blocks there are for women to really do this. You know, how many women voted for Trump? I mean, that, you know, that's political, but I think there's a notion still of daddy will take care of me. Some strong man will take care of me. And then I won't really have to fend for myself. That's because we, we are scared of our power. We don't own our power. It really all goes back to that. It's so simple. We have been punished. We have been shamed. We have been ridiculed for owning our power. And we've just dimmed our light down. That's we've done because we don't want to make waves. Becoming a powerful woman, and you can do that by becoming a good steward of your money. Not to be rich. Not to be rich. Because, oh, I know what I would say. Once a woman reaches financial stability, she has enough, you know, to put a house a roof over her head and feed right. her kids. Right. 
once you reach this financial stability, most women are not, not motivated by money. They're not. Mm-hmm. Now, they want to make more money maybe, but what motivates them is the opportunity to help others. And that's why I'm such a promoter for creating wealth. Not because you can amass riches, but imagine what you could do, first of all, who you have to become, a strong woman, and what you can do for the planet with that disposable income and with the confidence that comes. So that is my biggest point, really. And I have this hunch at the moment, the numbers are vary, but we spend about, I think, about 1.7, the planet, about 1.7 trillion on militarization, uh, which is an obscene amount of money. And by most experts' accounts is unnecessary, like in terms of conflict prevention, doesn't help. There's a lot of people making a lot of money off of arms, either the small arms trade, the large arms trade. There is a woman in West Africa named Le Magawi. I don't know if you've heard her name, but she is really an extraordinary person. And I, I've told the story before on this podcast. And I'm, but she basically single-handedly, not single-handedly, with, in, in coordination with other women, she coordinated women to say, we want peace now. We want to stop the civil war. We want peace now. And they did it. They did it by actually going on a sex strike. It was very Les Estrada. They started wearing... Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, that story is an amazing story. I'm not going to get into it here. But the point is, I think at the moment, the United States spends seven times more than the seven largest spenders combined. We are spending that much on militarization. Now, when And I don't even know if that means just weapons or if it means the impact of armed conflict. But I guess what I'm saying to you is that if you were a household, I don't think, I think women, if they were sitting around planning their family budget, I don't think they'd be spending that money on bombs. I think they would. But let me tell you, it depends. Yeah. If they're scared, if they don't feel safe, if they feel they need protection, if that primitive part of their brain is constantly activated and stimulated. Right. Because the only thing that keeps going is fear. Yeah. We've had conflict since the beginning of time. You know, we've always had conflict because that's fear. Well, we haven't actually had um, war since the beginning of time, believe it or not. We, but we had tribes. There were always tribes warring with other tribes. No, actually, always- not so much. Uh, I mean, this is Bill Urey talking and other people that are anthropologists, but I think it's a misnomer that we actually haven't had war forever. We've actually been much more collaborative than we've been competitive or adversarial and until much more recently. Okay, so even let's say that. But as long as there's fear alive in this world, Right. As long as we are afraid that someone is going to take over, there will be conflict. And I think the answer is the answer for me is like, um, it's like what Mother Teresa said. She wanted to go and help the poor. She first had to get in touch with the Hitler in her. <laughs> it's like we have to get in touch with the anger in us, with conflict in us, with the fear in us. And if we can heal individually, we'll have more of a chance. That's my feeling. No, I agree with you. I think basically what we're trying to do is create a world that is safe for conflict, ironically, because it's more the methods that are being used. It's more that, you know, for me, I have a history as being a mediator, of being somebody who's been teaching people negotiation skills forever. The more people learn about actually how to negotiate differences, they, you know, actually picking up your fists and hitting somebody is not necessarily the best methodology. Exactly. Um, But when you go into fear, 
and that primitive brain gets triggered and the logical brain shuts down, it is human instinct to fight or flee. Yeah. So I believe that if we could help each individual on this planet learn to come from a place of love and safety, of course, I'm a spiritual being, but if we can't do that, fear, we can control it. I think that's going to make a bigger difference. So um, what are you seeing in terms of the women that you empower with money? What are you seeing is happening with them and relationships? And I'm assuming now, well, I'm saying heterosexual women. No, we can do any, either heterosexual, lesbians. Okay. We can do relationship with anything, relationship with the children, relationship with their life, with friends. Because money is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And you change your relationship to money. You change your relationship in all other areas of life. You can't just deal with money. Like you slice up a pizza and say, I'm just doing money. Because whatever's going on with money, it's going on in other areas of your life too. So what happens when women are really, really dealing, doing the outer work, practical stuff, but also the inner work, something shifts in them and all their relationships change. And people can't stay with you because you've changed. And other people, the relationships gets deeper and richer. And you start attracting in people on the same wavelength. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So you actually don't think it kills love for people to get empowered about money. Well, let me tell you, my husband, I have a lot more money than my husband. My husband is a retired pilot. and. Uh, we have the best relationship because he has such high self-esteem that he's not threatened by me. And I support him. I support him a lot financially because that's the way he needs to be supported. But he supports me emotionally mm -hmm. the way I have never been supported by a man. Mm -hmm. So if you, we figured out what each one of us needs, we've been together for 10, almost going on 11 years. And it's just been the most beautiful relationship I could ever, ever imagine. That's that's really amazing. I don't know if there's, I mean, yeah, because it's it's a bit of a block to think about supporting. I mean, for me to think about, I don't know if I want to support some guy, you know, if I actually meet somebody that I really like that's, you know, doesn't have any money. But there's a lot of ways that I could be supported that don't have anything to do with money. Here's the thing. He's very financially responsible. If he was irresponsible, I wouldn't be with him. Mm -hmm. But he's very responsible with what he has. And, you know, he bought himself an airplane. He bought himself a Harley. He, bought, you know, he does all that. But I'm telling you, I made a list of 31 things I wanted to demand. And he had 30. <laughs> and the very first one is I wanted him rich. Hmm. But he had those other 30. He had the depth and the intelligence and the caring and this high self-esteem, which I think is the most important factor. Why did you even care about rich? Because you had money, Barbara. That, you know, why did you care? Because I kept hanging out with men who didn't have money. I still had that I want someone to take care of me thing going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My family was the men who take care of you. My mother got very upset because I was meeting men that didn't have money. Mm -hmm. My last husband had money. <laughs> he was a lousy husband. He was the one who got you with the million dollar tax bill? No, that was the first one. Oh. The second one, he, he was a millionaire, but he was not happy with me. He was not supportive of me. He didn't like me working. Uh -huh. I was miserable. And I realized wait a minute, I don't need money. I don't need money. It was this fantasy in my head that I was carrying around, just like many women are. Oh, if I had a rich man to take care of me, I would feel like so cool. Right. But really, I don't know. Then I realized 
I want a man who has high self-esteem, who is not threatened by a powerful woman. Yeah. And who's very responsible. And has their own ego in check, which is the same as having high self-esteem because if yeah. you, yeah, you do. So, um, yeah, you've said a lot about fear for women and I mean, what do you see happening? Do you see things changing for women around money? Oh yeah, I do. And so say what you're saying. Well, I think the whole paradigm of the world is changing. Yeah. And I think in order to create what you're talking about, in order to really create a more sustainable world, we have to have powerful women along with enlightened men. So I, I don't work with enlightening men, but there are other wonderful people that do. Right. But I really see more and more women stepping into their power and not being scared of it. That there's actually support in the world now, global support for a woman being a powerful woman. There's global support. And we've never had that. We have never had, maybe in past times, before my time, we did. But since I've been alive, and I've been alive for a long time, we have never had that kind of support. In the forms of, what are you seeing specifically? The Me, the me Too. Mm-hmm. The Me Too movement. Hashtag Me Too. We are supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And we are calling out men on their abuse. I mean, that was always kept so quiet. Mm. I see huge things happening. I see women really wanting and really wanting to get smart. Mm-hmm. Now, have we reached the hundredth monkey? <laughs> have we? <laughs> are we there yet? No. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely see the shift occurring because I started doing this forty years ago, and a lot's changed in that forty years. Do you see a big difference? I don't know how many uh, millennial women you have coming into your programs. Uh, not as many. No, I have amazing. I have millennial women. Mm-hmm. Now, mostly I have women over thirty. Mm-hmm. I guess that's millennials too. But what I'm seeing- Just to be clear, I just so the audience knows, your audience is, or your constituency is not necessarily people with money. They're just people who have, who are trying to manage what they have. My, my constituency is women. My constituency is women who want to create wealth because they are purpose-driven. And because they know, as Mother Teresa said, it takes a checkbook to change the world. <laughs> Did she say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that quote. That's a good quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that's my constituency. Mm-hmm. And I want to empower them so they can go out and do what God put them here to do. So, Barbara, why you said that you think women will spend their money differently than men do. Do you think that would always be true? Or do you think? I, I don't know if they'd spend their money well, yeah, they would. My husband will spend his money on planes and chainsaws and Carly's. I like to spend my money on going to see my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we all have our differences in how we spend. You said that the military budget will decrease if women are in power. And I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that's a big statement. And I I have a feeling because... Uh, You'd be right. Well, so if you, Dr. Silla Elworthy wrote this book just now called A Business Plan for Peace, and she's been really tracking this stuff for quite a while. And women around the planet are doing incredible peace initiatives. And when they are actually in the peace rooms doing the negotiations, things tend to settle better, uh, stay settled. They have different priorities. They focus a little bit more like fierce mothers and maybe less about divvying up the spoils. Uh, And that may be, I am only interested, my attention has only been focused on individual transformation. Right. So I'm sure you're right. 
Well, I don't know. It's a, I mean, it's a hunch that I think. I, I that, trust it. Okay, I'll trust it. So I think, you know, that's pretty much, um, yeah, I was going to ask you if there's a feminine way of managing money versus a masculine way of managing money. Yes. How's that? What's the difference? Men and women view money through very different lenses. They view wealth and power through very different lenses. For men, investing is a very transaction-oriented. For women, it's all about relationship. The relationship they build with their advisor, how they can use the money to make a difference in their children's lives, how they can help the world. It's much different. Men give, let me see if I remember. The top reason men are philanthropists is to have a building named after them (laughs) and get a seat on the board. The reason women, and, and this was the University of Indiana Philanthropic Center, and the reason that women give is to help their community and to make a difference. So, and one's not right or, or better or worse. Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I want to be fair here. Also, when it comes to investing in a stock market, men's brains see investing as a challenge. They see the risk they take as a challenge. And they're just, Wah! women see investing as a threat. It's like the woolly mammoth coming at them. And so they have a tendency to freeze or flee. So there's all kinds of ways I could go into that women and men differ. And the important thing is to understand that difference and to learn about money in the way that jives with our nature, that really fits our our sensibilities. I notice I can be in a room full of women and I can talk about wealth and they'll yawn. I tell them how they can use their money to make a difference, to make their children's lives better, to contribute to causes. They light up. They're like, that's what motivated women. And the trouble is that the financial industry, at least in America, tends to mo- try to motivate women through scary statistics. 70% of you can't retire. Mm. 90% of you are going to be alone. Mm. That doesn't motivate us. That freezes us. That paralyzes us. Women and men are very different. And I want women to understand there is a feminine face of wealth. There is a feminine approach to wealth. Which is what you've been describing. Yes. That it's not about amassing riches. It's about living life on your own terms. Uh Do you ever recommend when people get married that they combine their money? Or do you recommend to women that they keep track of their own money? Or do you have any opinion about that? Yeah, I do. I, I think whatever works for the couple. But always, always a woman should have an account in her own name. Always. She should have her own personal identity. They can have the mass in there, but she needs her own personal identity. Because I've seen witness too many cases where the marriage fell apart and the woman had no money or no credit in her name. And that's a scary place to be. Right. All right. So any final thoughts on this whole, I, I was thinking a good title for this would just simply be Prince Charming Isn't Coming, Women, Money, and Peace, something like that. How about Becoming Your Own Prince Charming? Becoming Your Own Prince Charming. Yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, so any, you know, you haven't talked too much about your own your own journey of empowerment because uh, you have definitely told the tale of ending up with a huge tax bill. But how have you changed over time, like in terms of your own empowerment? <laughs> I told my husband that if he met me when I was in my 20s and 30s, 
and early 40s, before I got started really taking responsibility, he would never be attracted to me. Oh, interesting. I was like a needy, scared, had no self-confidence. Well, I think what gives you self-confidence is not when things come easy, but it's when things come tough and you overcome them. I think that's what gave me confidence. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I decided I needed to get smart about money, because I had three daughters. They were young and one was a baby. And I was not going to raise those girls on the street. I wasn't talking to my parents. My husband was out of the picture. So I was very motivated. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. I was terrified. But I, I really realized that the only way to go to the next level in your life, whether it's making more money or losing weight, it's a willingness to be uncomfortable. The willingness to go where you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good place to stop, I think. And um, really, thank you for your time and your enthusiasm and your insight, as always, Barbara. Really a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. And it was a pleasure. I love the way you interview. It's like a discussion. (laughs) Well, that's... I love that. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, sweetheart. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, To learn more about Barbara and her work, you can go to www.barbara-husson.com. We have another really exciting interview coming up right on the tails of this one with Priya Parker, uh, the author of The Art of Gathering. So stay tuned for that. And thanks again for all of your support and listening to the Peace Building Podcast.